Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So the year is AD 33. The setting, of course, is the upper room. And in a few hours, Jesus will be dead. The disciples don't realize it, but they're having their last meal with the Lord Jesus. The mood is definitely reverent, but the room is also filled with hope. And we find these words written in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. The Bible says this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the where you're going, and we, how do we know the way? And Jesus said these famous words, I am the way, and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You see, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Then verse 9 says something very interesting. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me? And here's something that Vody Bauckham once said, and I paraphrase. Most modern-day worshipers are singing loudly and worshiping Jesus, but it's a Jesus they barely know. Is it possible that we really may not know Jesus as he really is? So here we are in week four of our series, This Is My FBC, and so far we've covered that our mission is really this. Our mission is that First Baptist Church exists to embrace great commandment love, which fuels great commission living. Everything really that flows out of our our being flows from loving and being loved by God. It starts there. Last week, we looked at practically how to love God, and this morning, we're going to focus in on the God that we're trying to love. I mean, who really is this Jesus? In order to love him, I really have to know him. What we could call that is having a proper God view. So we're going to kind of jump in this morning with a couple of principles, and the first one is this. The Lord Jesus wants us to love him as he really is. Lord Jesus wants us to love him as he really is. You see, as we've been saying in one of the defining moments of his ministry, Jesus was asked by one of the religious leaders of his day, which commandment was the greatest? 
As we spoke about over several weeks, Jesus gave this reply. It's found today in Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel, beginning in verse 29 through verse 31. And I wonder if you would rise to your feet as I read something that is very holy to the Lord our God, which would be his word. Mark chapter 20, uh, 12, verse 29. Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what, church? One Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. You may be seated, and may God bless his word. You see, that, as we've been speaking, is known as the great commandment, to love people flows out of my loving God. And it defines really the true identity of a person who follows Jesus. Therefore, great commandment love must be at the heart of all we are and all we do. But yet, here's what I found, that every individual who seeks really to live out this commandment will find a very significant challenge. If I am to love this God with all my heart and there's only one God, then who really is this God? In other words, we will find it hard to be able to experience great commandment love for God unless we first have a clear view of who he really is. You see, if we were to examine ourselves, many of us would discover that our view of God often impedes our ability to love him and love others. Loving God requires that you and I see him for who he really is. So how do I really view God? See, one of the major concepts to love God starts not with us, but with him. How do I see him? But more specifically today, how do I see Jesus? You see, how I love Jesus is really dependent upon how I really see Jesus. It's important for us to closely examine our own concept of Christ. How do I really see him? So we're going to jump over into Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 for a moment and help us get an understanding of who Christ really is from an experience that someone had in the, the scriptures about who Jesus is. So in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we read these words. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. It's interesting. And was not able to because of the crowd, for because he was what? Thank y'all. It's okay. Short people are in the Bible. I'm just trying to tell you. He was about to pass through that way. And then, so he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And then when Zacchaeus, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, everybody knows this kind of song, Zacchaeus, hurry, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today, I must stay at your house. And he hurried and he came down and received him, meaning Jesus, gladly. Now, that's very interesting. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he's going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he too 
is a son of Abraham. Now put yourself in the Bible story that we just read. The story of Zacchaeus. The Gospel of Luke tells us that there was this wealthy collector, a tax collector named Zacchaeus, who lived in the city of Jericho. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus as he passed through town, but being a short man, he couldn't see the crowd. So this tax collector climbed this tree in order to get a better view. And when Jesus reaches Zacchaeus, he immediately, immediately says, hey, we've got to go to your house. This invitation was especially significant because of the reputation that a tax collector would have had. They were considered traitors to the people of Israel because they collected taxes for the Roman government. Furthermore, Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, and because of the corrupt system of his day, he most certainly obtained his wealth through cheating and stealing and embezzlement. But yet Christ chose to spend time with this man who was despised and hated by most everybody. In many ways, you and I are like like Zacchaeus. We've done things that we regret, right? We've hurt others by our life choices. We've lived lives that are very far from perfect. We have at times failed and sinned and made extremely poor choices. Perhaps you're here today and you feel like Zacchaeus that you've kind of blown it over and over and over again. So with that kind of in the background, knowing what kind of man he was, now imagine yourself sitting in the top of that tree. You're waiting for Jesus knowing that you are a rotten thief. Knowing that you kind of made yourself rich off of taking advantage of other people. And Jesus walks to your tree, stops, and looks up. Now, how would Jesus respond to you? Would he look up at you and shake his finger with words of condemnation? Is he going to look up at you and shake his head in disappointment? Is he just going to pass you by, barely noticing that you even exist? You see, we have these hindered views of Jesus. Jesus wants me to really love him as he really is, and I can't do that unless I see him for who he really is. One of the ways that kind of we get into misunderstanding is, is first of all, we believe that Jesus is a demanding Jesus, but I'm here today to tell you he's not. He is not a demanding Jesus. This improper view of Jesus seems to, to see Jesus as a, as a God who walks around with a heavenly tally sheet. And he's just waiting to record what you do or what you don't do. This inspecting Jesus examines your every motive and your every behavior. And he constantly just demands that you do more and you do better. He then relates to you according to how well you've made the checklist. I'm here today to tell you this type of God is just waiting. If you have this view, he's just waiting to catch you doing something wrong. This kind of God is always pointing his finger at you. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. It is going to be extremely difficult to love a Jesus like that. I mean, imagine trying to love somebody who only examines you and often only pointed out what you ever did wrong. He's not a demanding Jesus. Secondly, he's not a disappointed Jesus. 
He's not a disappointed Jesus. This type of Jesus notices our behavior, and then when he sees what we do or we don't do, he just shakes his head in disappointment. He keeps his arms kind of crossed as he looks down at your feeble attempts to to live in in a righteous way. This kind of Jesus might just shrug his shoulders and walk out of the room because ultimately he's just kind of given up on you. No matter how many positive things you do or how good you try to become, it's this kind of Jesus that says it's just not enough. You've got to continue to do more. I mean, imagine, imagine trying to love somebody that was constantly just disappointed in you. You can't love a Jesus like that because that's not who he is. He's also not a distant Jesus. He's not a distant Jesus. This type of Jesus is really just too busy to notice that you have needs, that you have concerns. He doesn't appear to have time for people like you because he only takes care of people that are important. This kind of Jesus listens with maybe one ear as you pray, giving half-hearted attention to you. He seems detached from you or often too distracted by other important people so he can't really show interest in you. This is the kind of Jesus that's just disinterested in the details of your life and and he often seems to look past you or over you to somebody that's behind you that's more important. I mean, imagine this morning trying to love a Jesus like that. Imagine trying to love a Jesus who barely takes notice of you who seems so distant from you, too busy to come under your tree. So as we consider these four views of Christ, it's important for us to realize that I can't love this kind of Jesus or I can't be loved by this kind of Jesus because that's not who he is. And if this view of Jesus is what I have and I can't love him or be loved by him because it's incorrect, it will then by logical conclusion affect how I love other people. Because this is what this means. We risk treating others in the same way that we perceive Jesus is treating us. See, the order has got to be fundamentally, just foundationally correct. I've got to love God before I can love people because it's out of the overflow. But if my view of this is wrong, my view of this will be wrong as well. So as a Christ follower, if if I have an inspecting Jesus then I'm going to be the Pharisee who's always inspecting people to make sure they do this thing right. You see, if I've got this this view of Jesus that he's just disappointed and difficult to please, then I will be that person that's always difficult to please. People will just never be enough and do enough for me. If I see that, that Jesus is just distant and uninvolved, then I would tend to distance myself from other people and just not be involved in their life. So I wonder, could we just for a few moments just meditatively think about some things I want them to pull up on the screen? Right now, I wonder if you just kind of reflect, maybe which of these hindered views of Jesus you have, how do you sometimes see him? Go to the next one, please. See, right now, I want you to kind of think about this and ask your question, ask yourself this. Do I sometimes see Jesus as... Just this demanding or this just disappointed or this just constantly inspecting me or do, do I, is this how I see him? I just want you just right now think about that. How do you see Jesus? 
I mean, how do you see him? How did you walk in today seeing him? Did you expect that he was just going to meet you with judgment when you came in? Were you looking for condemnation? Or were you hoping that this Jesus was a Jesus of grace? Is that what you're hoping for? Because I hope so. And then secondly, my view of Jesus as, maybe you see him that he's just constantly, just you can't do anything right. You can't get this religion thing down. And could that be maybe why you're treating other people that way? I mean, my view of Jesus as being distant probably plays into why I keep my distance from others. Could it be? And then I wonder if my view of Jesus could influence how I relate to others in a certain way that maybe you hadn't even thought about. Is there some truth, some validation to maybe how I see him is how I will see other people. Is that possible? You see, the Bible says that God wants us to know Jesus. In that text, he says, Philip, you don't know me. Jesus said, I came to reveal the Father. I want you to know me. Jesus wants to be known by you, and he definitely wants to know you. That's why being known and less alone is so incredibly important to this pastor. So I wonder, could we just take a moment right now to pray a scripture? The Bible says in 1 John 5, it says this. This is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've asked for him. So here's the deal. God's made us a promise that if we ask according to his will and ask according to his word, we have what we ask for. And I'm telling you, Jesus wants you to know him as he really is. So would you, in just this moment right now, would you, as you want to, you can bow your head, you cannot, you can stand, I don't care what you do, but would you go to the Lord Jesus and just say, who really are you? Would you show me today? Would you do that right now? Just ask him, who are you? Reveal yourself to me, Jesus. Who are you? Who really are you, Jesus? Show me. Show me today. You see, the real Jesus wants relationship with you. He is attentive and caring. He does not sit in heaven with a, with a tally sheet or get more occupied with other important things. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be an intimate friend. He is excited when you wake up in the morning because he cannot wait to show you how much he loves you. He is delighted, the scripture tells me, to know you and to be with you. He generously and graciously gave up his son because he wanted to spend eternity with you. He is pleased with you, not because of anything that you have done, but because he is your master creator and he admires his handiwork and he values each of his treasures because each of us are unique and wonderful to him. As image bearers, you see, we see the confirmation of the real Jesus' character in the story of Zacchaeus. Scripture tells us that Zacchaeus responded to Jesus' invitation by coming down and welcoming Jesus gladly. We will not welcome and inspecting Jesus gladly. 
We will not welcome a disappointed Jesus gladly. Zacchaeus was up in the tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And when you and I see Jesus as he really is, we will welcome him gladly into our home. I want you to know this. His heart was thrilled to have the opportunity to be with Jesus. And Jesus knew everything that Zacchaeus has done. But his loving response focused on who Zacchaeus was and who he would become, not on what he had done. He said, Zacchaeus, can you come down? Because I want to be with you. That's amazing to me. Because that's who he really is. The real Jesus is not disappointed or demanding or distant. He is excited to be recognized by us and to love us and and for us to love him. He wants what's best for us. He doesn't want us to miss the joy that comes from being with him. Could it be that when you woke up this morning, could it be that Jesus was excited to love you? See, listen to him. You see the real Jesus, then who is he? Well, he's a passionate Jesus. That's who he is. He's a passionate Jesus. You remember the story about this woman in John 4? She was at a well, and not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman. You see, Jewish men didn't hang out with women, period, but much less a Jew would never hang out with a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman. But here Jesus is breaking all cultural norms, knowing who she was, knowing what she had done. But Jesus sits down with her, ministers to her, loves her, and deals gently with her, even though she's a rotten sinner. And then he forgives her gladly. Christ loves us, and we are not alone. He invites us into relationship with him, no matter who we are and what we've done. Jesus may say to you this morning, he may be through me proclaiming, I know you, and I want you to know that you are not alone. You've tried meeting your need for aloneness, meeting your need for somebody to love you so long, and I want you to know that I know about you. I see you, and I care for you. And I love you. He's this passionate Jesus. We see in John chapter 11, his best friend Lazarus has died. And Mary and Martha, the sisters, they're, they're all crying. And this has affected the family so deeply. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus sees what's going on. And Jesus weeps. He's passionate When things happen in our lives and when people die, Jesus is not just distant from that. Oh, no, brothers and sisters, he sees and he weeps for us. He cares for us. He is passionate about us. I can love a Jesus like that. But he's also pursuing us. He's not just a passionate Jesus. He's a pursuing Jesus. The Bible tells me in John chapter 9 about the story about a blind man story about a blind man. He's been blind from birth, and so Jesus sees him, and it's a Sabbath day, and Jesus heals this blind man. Well, he does it on the Sabbath, and so it freaks everybody out, right? And they're all caught up in all this, and, and so they're kind of missing the point that there's a man that's been born blind that's now can see. But we're going to make it about the rules because we have an inspecting Jesus. We have an inspecting God. And we're going to make it about, well, we need to kick him out because we're disappointed and disgusting that this has happened. So their God view is not correct, so therefore they can't love him. He 
You see, he's experienced irrelevant religion because when we make it about the rules, we miss what the whole point was. It's about relationships. They don't want him healed on the Sabbath, and then they kick him out. And so he's got this irrelevant religion that says, hey, we can't do things like that on the Sabbath. (laughs) I mean, God forbid we heal people. And then he's got an unsupported family relationship because when the family finds out and the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are like, hey, who healed this man? We don't know. Ask him. He can tell you. And the Bible says they do that because they're afraid they're going to get kicked out too. And so they take their blind son who's just been healed and they just disavow themselves from him. We don't know him. I'm like, we don't want this Jesus guy, not not us. Can you imagine? He's just got healed. He he can see for the first time. He probably wants to hug his mom and dad, but they say, hey, um, you no. If this means we get kicked out of the church, we don't want anything to do with our son. What What kind of stuff is that? And then he's got this painful life event. Can you imagine what it's like to be born blind? And if you're listening by way of radio, or maybe you're here in this audience and you, you are blind, man, my heart, I would love to hear your story. I have no idea what that is like. But in verses 1 and 2 of John 9, it isn't up on the screen, it says, and as he passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth. And here, listen to me, listen to me, here's where we go. We see this person that obviously isn't right. Verse 2 says, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he would be born blind. And we see people out there, right? We see people that are caught up in this stuff and we just say, man, who sinned? We see a pregnant teenager. Who sinned? We see a divorced person. Who sinned? And the whole time there's a Jesus who's saying, I want to love them. I will get to their sin. I will get to that. You can rest assured I will get to that. But when you see Jesus as somebody other than who he is, you will not pursue people who have needs. He is a pursuing Jesus. And he will pursue you no matter what. Because the Bible tells me that after they kick this guy out, verse 35 of John 9 says, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And Jesus found him. Did y'all know that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost? Woo! Praise God, man. We play hide and go seek with Jesus, and he still finds us when we're really the ones that are supposed to be hiding. And he finds us, and he loves us right where we're at. Guys, I want to tell you today that Jesus is looking for you today. Then we know this, Jesus is also a praying Jesus. He's not just this passionate pursuing, but he's a praising Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, verse 32, I'm just going to read this to you. It isn't going to be on the screen again either. Peter has absolutely jacked things up. Like Jesus said, hey, Peter, you said that you love me. You're going to give your life for me. (laughs) You're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, 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 man, I'd go and die for you. Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me. Well, Peter does, but in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, we read this. The Bible says this. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
You mean that when Jesus knows that I'm going to jack this thing up, he's not looking to what? Just demand more out of me or inspect me or distance himself because he knows I'm going to sin. He actually gets on his knees and prays for me? That's who he is. That's who the real Jesus is. It's not Zacchaeus, you come down from there. Zacchaeus, come down. Zacchaeus, I know you're a sinner, but I've got to go to your house because I want to be with you. That's who he is, friends. And when we see Jesus for who he really is, it changes us and it changes how we relate to people. Can I just tell you today that Jesus prays for you not just once a month, not just once a year, but every moment of every day. He lives to make intercession for you and me. Listen, I will not love anyone other than the real Jesus, and the real Jesus is the only one who really loves me. Jesus isn't passionate about neglected people like the Samaritans. He isn't just only interested in those people. He isn't interested in just weeping for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He doesn't just pursue blind people. He doesn't just pray for people named Peter. He does all that for people like you and me. You have a contemporary Jesus, not a historical Jesus. Please understand that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's, if that's how he treated people in the first century, that's the way he's still doing it today. The Lord Jesus wants us to love him as he really is. And then secondly, the Lord Jesus wants us to be loved by him as he really is. Not that we just, not that we just love him as he is, but that we can be loved by him as he is. You see, how I see him, as I've said, it determines some things. Am I the inspected one? I have to ask myself that question. Am I the one in whom God is disappointed? Am I the one that's so distant from God that he doesn't notice me? No. You are the beloved. You. You are the beloved. That's who you are. The Father, through the gift of his Son on the cross, has declared you and I worthy of his love, regardless of our performance. God knows that once we understand how much he loves us, how valued we are, that then out of that overflow, a desire to live in accordance with who he is will follow from my life. Christ lived out this principle when he found Zacchaeus in the top of a sycamore tree. Jesus approached Zacchaeus and offered him friendship and unconditional acceptance. Zacchaeus' livelihood was built on theft, embezzlement, and betrayal of his people, but Christ showed Zacchaeus that he was worth far more than his behavior warranted. And this revelation impacted Zacchaeus in a great way. You see, listen to me. God is able to accurately tell you what you are worth because you were created in his image. You see, you have to understand this. The coins of Jesus' day always bore a picture of Caesar. And Caesar was the only one to determine what that monetary value of that coin was. You see, only the one whose image is on the coin could determine the value of the coin itself. Likewise, you and I then have been created in the image of God. Each of us was formed according to his great plan and fashion in the womb before we ever came to be. And the divine creator who owns you determines your value. You are worth dying for. Did you know that? You are worth God giving up his only son for you. You are the beloved. 
the one who knew no sin became sin and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why did he do that? Because he said that God so loved you that he did that. See, John 14, 15 says something interesting. It says, if you love me, you would keep my commandments. Isn't that interesting? I want to ask you, when you hear that, and as it's been taught in church so often, how do you hear it? Because you, how you hear that tells me how you view God. I mean, did you read that with a view as a demanding and inspecting God? I mean, as you read that, if you loved me, you would keep my commandments. And maybe there's a tone of expectation that you had better love him. And the way that you love him is you better obey his commands. Maybe it's carrying a a questioning tone, conveying the sense that this is a test to be passed. I mean, how well you obey me tells me how much you love me. Or if you love me, you, you would be doing a little bit more of that consistently and definitely not doing that. So when you get that all together, then I really love you. Or do you read that verse with a view that God is disappointed? I mean, as you hear it, right, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Maybe you hear this voice that seems full of dissatisfaction. I mean, this kind of God may look down at you with his arms crossed, shaking his head and says this, you know, if you just really loved me, you'd probably be able to keep all my commands. And I've really known all along that you don't love me And because you're not keeping my commands, it just proves it. Wow. You're saying, I don't know. Well, maybe you did you read that view as this is a distant God? I mean, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And maybe you heard this cold, disinterested version of that. I mean, it's kind of like this. You know, if you love me, you just kind of keep my commands. I mean, it seems like he's just so disinterested. There's no enthusiasm for him to really love you. He's only going to really love other people who are keeping his commands, Not definitely not you, because you just can't keep them. I mean, if you love me, then, then you'd probably just, you know, do a little bit more. But, I mean, hey, thanks for stopping by. You know, when you get that commandment thing down, I mean, let's talk, Okay. But until then, I mean, it's all about love, and you're proving that you don't love me because you're not keeping my commands. And so, you know, maybe, maybe later. But really, can I just tell you that, that John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, is in the line of a bunch of promises. That's why I started today with it. A good way to prepare a place for you, it's a promise. I'll come again and receive you to myself, that's a promise. If you ask anything according to my will and my name, I'll do it for you, that's a promise. And if you love me, I promise you, you'll get that commandment thing right. If you and me just love one another, I'll take care of that part. Really, it's translated better. Because you love me, I know you'll take care of my commandments. Because I love you, I know you'll figure out my commandments. It's all about the way we see Jesus. So I wonder today, if you would think about this, as I embrace Jesus is excited to love me, my heart is filled with what? What does that do to your heart? (laughs) That fills my heart with incredible joy. 
all of a sudden now I have some incredible hope because I am the chief of sinners. I don't know if I have any other sinners in the room, but I'm telling you, I can knock one out of the park. I am in the process of sanctification. I have not arrived. But to know that this Jesus loves me in spite of that just weirds me out with great googly joy. So I wonder right now if you could just maybe turn to the person that you brought with you. Maybe you're by yourself and you can just kind of talk to yourself. That's okay. But right now my heart is filled with what? What is your heart filled with right now because you know that Jesus loves you? Just tell somebody right now. What's it, what's it filled with? Take time to really just tell them. You can say nothing. It's okay. What's your heart filled with? You see, the Lord Jesus wants us to love him as it really is, and the Lord Jesus wants us to be loved by him as it really is. But here's the third thing today. The Lord Jesus wants us to love others because of who he really is. The Lord Jesus wants us to love others because of who he is. You see, here's something incredibly just awesome to me. When Zacchaeus figures out that he's loved, then he turns right back around and does what to everybody else? Because Luke 19.8 tells me this. Do you remember it? Zacchaeus now has been loved by Jesus. They went into the house. He's been loved. He isn't saved yet. He's being loved, and now he comes out, and he says, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I've wronged anybody, let's make it four times. When I am loved by Jesus... I can rightly love other people. Do you see this? Are you making the connection of why we are saying that our church's mission is to embrace this great commandment love so that now we can be fueled about great commission living? Do you see it? This is what we've got to be about, church. This is the mission. This is the heartbeat of why Jesus set up his church. 1 John 4.12 says it this way. No one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, it's so incredibly important to God that if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. FBC exists to embrace great commandment love, which fuels great commission living. One of the critical goals of following Jesus is that we would live and love in a way that helps those around us experience Christ as he really is. Did you know that probably 95 to 98% of the time, people will only experience the love of God through other people? You're probably not going to know that God loves you unless somebody shows you that God loves you. This is how incredibly important this is. Listen to me. If God wanted something to be done other than this, he would ask the angels to do it, and they don't complain. He's left you and me. We are God's plan A for loving people. He's going to do it. This is the difference between living for Jesus and letting Jesus live through you. Jesus wants to love people, but he's only going to do it through you. But you first have to see that you are the beloved, and he is the one worth loving. 
So I'm asking us, how do we practically do that? That is why I keep teaching about relational needs. The one another's in Scripture are how we love one another. This is not psychobabble. This is not some crazy type of psychology. I don't care what you've heard. I don't care what people are trying to sell you in this church. I'm telling you. This is what the Bible says. We let others and we, let, we love others when someone fails and we accept them because Romans 15, 7 says this. Therefore, accept one another just also as Christ accepted us to the glory of God. So when we do a marriage night, we do a date night and we talk about the need for acceptance and that we have to accept our spouses even when they're different than us. Why are we doing that? Because God said we have to accept others as Christ has accepted us. We are just doing the book. And anybody that wants to argue with us doing the book, you probably do need to find another church. When someone shares a struggle and we encourage them, because why do we do that? Why do we want to make a big deal of the need for encouragement? Why? Why did Jeremy stand up here and try to encourage you? Because Hebrews 10.25 says this. Not forsaking our own assembling together. I could go there sometime. As some is in the habit of doing. I could preach on that, but I won't because I want to love you but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because that's what the book says. How am I going to love people? How is God going to love two people? It's when I accept them and when I encourage them. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to help you see, church, this is not complicated. When somebody is lonely, when somebody's lonely and we just care for them, why? Why do we want to know when people are lonely? Why? Listen to me. Can I tell you something in this church? If somebody is alone, that ought to be an emergency for us. If you see somebody sitting alone in these chairs, that ought to be an emergency. God, we've got to get somebody to them. People do stupid, crazy things when they're alone. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says it this way. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. It's hard to care for what I don't know. And it's even more difficult to care for somebody I don't know. That's why we're making a big deal of being known and less alone. Because it's the book. We're just doing the book. You have the chance to let others see God by communicating reassurance to them, to let the love of God be perfected in you and to become a living epistle of God's love to other people. John 13, 34 and 35 says something amazing. This is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this... I that. Not by a bunch of rational truth. Jesus says, by the way you love one another, people will know that you're my disciples. And 
I'm not big on rational truth. I just took some time to get rational with you, explaining to you this scripture. But we have, the point of truth is to move us in relationship with people and with God. So right now, Jeremy and, and those who are coming, you can please come and play. I want to help you with a couple of things as we kind of close today. We're going to go a couple of different directions for a couple of different people in the room, and this is going to make a couple more people uncomfortable because as we get new people, sometimes they get a little afeard about what we're fixing to do. That's East Texas language, if y'all don't know, per Angie Eichler. I love you, Angie. If you have never come to know the love of Jesus Christ, that he loved you so much that he gave his life for you and died to bring you back to God and to to cover the distance between you and God because of your separation, because of your sin, today's a great day to just say, Jesus, I, I need you. Today, Jesus, I realize that I have sinned against you. I've broken your heart. I've broken your laws. And I am separated on my way to hell. And God, I need something different. Jesus, would you forgive me? You can can ask him to come into your life and to, to make you new on the inside, to forgive you of all your sin. You can trust that Jesus died, was buried, and raised for you. You can do that today. And we'll give you just an an opportunity to do that so in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand and and there are going to be some men and women down here and you can just come and say hey man I need Jesus today I don't really know what all you're talking about but man I need it we'd be glad to explain it to you in depth but you see there's also a time where this altar is open for people like this you may be up a tree this morning Maybe you've made some poor decisions, man, and you're just kind of up a tree and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe you're like just so alone and lonely because everybody else has kind of made you the outcast because of who you are. Maybe it's the color of your skin. And you're left alone at a well and you're wondering, will anybody stop by my well? today Jesus is under your tree right now and Jesus just sat down at your will and he wants you to know that he sees and he cares so maybe this time of this invitation you would just take some time to welcome him down into your home or you would just begin to talk to him about this living water that he can offer you for others in the room today and I want to give you permission to do this maybe the Lord Jesus has laid it on your heart through the proclamation of his word that you need to take out your phone right now and you're going to find it really hard to do this in this building but you can write a text to somebody that encourages them or that communicates acceptance to them, that that says, hey, I want a value that tells them that you love them, that that you appreciate them, some way to love them. 
as you have been loved. You can do that. And, and just response to this message, right? You've been loved by God. You've been reminded of how loved you are. How can you now instantly, right now, write a text? And though you may not be able to send it because of the reception in this room, but when you walk out and you hit send, because it would be really foolish of us to just be hearers of the word and not doers of it. I obey his commands because why? Because of love. We get to commands, but we start with love. I don't know where you're at today, but let's pray. Maybe the Lord will do something amazing in and through your heart during this time. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're, you're a Jesus who just absolutely, unconditionally loves. And I pray that the truth of that would just resonate in our hearts louder than anything else that's being said to us. And let us now leave here and love people as we've been loved they may know that we are your disciples by the way we love people. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you stand?